0: we thank you that you came into this world as the light of the world and we have so much to be grateful for because of that light and so i pray today that all of that would shine in our hearts today that you would tune our ears and our eyes to you today and that we would have hearts to receive in jesus mighty name amen so good morning and merry christmas I wanted to say a special thank you to all of you. It has been so encouraging to see the church be the church, actually be the church, and you guys have to my family, and some of you know, uh, hopefully most of you know, that we lost my father-in-law just a little over a week ago, uh, and he went home to be with the Lord, and uh, it's been hard, but you guys have surrounded us with love and prayers and hope and messages and food, lots of food. And so I, d- I just want to say thank you. I mean, it means so much to be surrounded by family, and you guys are that family. And so uh, please uh, accept, you know, this thank you, this love that from all of us. My wife couldn't be here today. She's with her mom. Um, they're not quite ready to come out just yet, but continue to pray for them. This is a tough week. We bury my father-in-law tomorrow, and then we have a memorial service uh, this coming Saturday here and uh, all of you are welcome to attend if you'd like to be here. It's at 1 o'clock uh, on Saturday. And uh, what's so cool is that I already see the Lord at work. We've got three churches that will be combining for this to celebrate the life of my father-in-law. So it'll be the remnant, it'll be the gathering, and it'll also be revived. We'll all be here, so uh, that'll be pretty cool. So we are pausing our study of the book of Mark to begin a new series today called The Light of the World. And this series will lead us to Christmas as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior together. The prophet Isaiah, he said this in Isaiah chapter 9 in verses 2 and 6. He said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace the fulfillment of this prophecy right here that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah this occurred in Matthew chapter 4 and in verse 17 of that same chapter Matthew recorded that from that moment on the message that Jesus preached was to repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near It was this same message that John the Baptist spoke to prepare the way for Jesus. And it's this same message that we proclaim today. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one and only true light. And it's this light that exposes the darkness. Our only response when we're exposed to this true light should be to repent of the deeds of darkness in our lives and turn to Jesus because the kingdom of God Is at hand Jesus came as the light of the world For this very purpose To see us come out of the darkness He said in John chapter 12 verse 46 I have come into the world as light So that whoever believes in me May not remain in darkness We are not to remain in the darkness If you've got your hand out and you're taking notes That's a blank that you can fill in We are not to remain in the darkness, meaning we are not to remain in our sins. Romans chapter 13, verse 12 says, we are to discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And verse 14 says that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not to make any plans to gratify the desire of our flesh. Now, some of you may remember from our basic training message series that we did this past summer, that putting on Christ abiding in christ the armor of light and the armor of god are all one in the same thing so if we put this all together for what we've seen this morning so far jesus came into this world as the true light so that we would come out of the darkness and we come out of this darkness by repenting of our sins and believing in him that was the central message that he preached we cannot live in the light and in the dark at the same time. We must choose one or the other. And this is the great contrast between light and dark. Have Jesus, have light. No Jesus, no light. So, how can we ensure we have this light? Jesus told us how in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So to ensure we have this light, we must follow him, which means we have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. We stay in the light because he is that light. Now, Matthew chapter 5 records that you and I, as his followers, are also the light of the world. So as we see here that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, but he also tells us in Matthew chapter 5, that you and I are the light of the world. Now, it's not our own light that shines. It's his light that shines through us. We were made to reflect his light. We were not made to try to shine our own light or to engage in deeds of darkness. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, we are to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, that's what light does. It exposes the darkness. It certainly doesn't mingle with the darkness. It shines brightly and boldly, always understanding that the power to shine comes directly from the Lord. Now, what I believe the Lord really wants us to see today is just how he came into this world as the true light. Because there's so much we can learn from this. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12 today. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. You don't have a Bible? We've got Bibles here on the bookshelf. Here to my right, your left, you can follow along in there on the screen or on your mobile device, but I encourage you to follow along. Who's ready for the word of God? Amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. over majesty meekness over majesty our world defines meekness more in terms of weakness but as with so many things the world gets this completely wrong meekness is not weakness and we never ever should confuse these two when someone is weak they can't do anything but when someone is meek oh they can do something they just choose not to because meekness is actually strength under control it's also lowliness, humility, and gentleness. Jesus has all the majesty of God himself. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 tells us that in Jesus lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And this is what's so amazing. The God of this universe, the Alpha and the Omega, he looked down on the earth and he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins. Jesus humbled himself in complete obedience to God by leaving his majestic place in heaven and came down to this earth to become one of us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8 says that Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even Death on a cross. All power, all glory, and all honor belong to him. He had everything in heaven, and yet he became nothing. That is meekness in action. The all powerful, all knowing, ever present God of all creation left all his majesty in heaven and came to this earth as a baby. This just blows my mind. A baby cannot fend for itself. It is completely and utterly helpless on its own. A baby relies on its parents for everything. So Jesus, the Son of God, becoming a baby, is the epitome of meekness. He has all the power of heaven and earth, and yet he confines himself to a human body as a baby. That is meekness. That is humility in action, and that is strength under control. Now, if we look back at our text for today, notice who an angel of the Lord were living in the fields nearby where Jesus was born. It wasn't to all the rich, famous, and powerful people in the world at that time. It wasn't to all the scholars and teachers of religious law. It wasn't even to the priests or scribes either. The greatest news the world has ever seen or heard, and God chose to reveal this news to lowly humble shepherds, ordinary people like you and me, because he chose meekness over majesty. And if you were not familiar with the Christmas story, you would think that the Lord, the Messiah, that everyone had been waiting for, would arrive with all the majesty of a king, that there should have been a red carpet, a parade, huge crowds of people celebrating, and news media everywhere covering every second of what would happen. But no, there was none of this. The savior of the world was wrapped in humanity, born in a dirty, humble stable. And then he was laid in a manger. A manger was a feeding trough for animals. That's not a royal crib for a king at all because the Lord chose meekness over majesty. And we see the same meekness all throughout the life of Jesus. Over and over again, we see him choose the lowly over the lofty. He chose to be conceived by a young virgin, which only brought ridicule from the Pharisees who implied he was illegitimate. He chose a stable for his birthplace, a feeding trough as his crib, and shepherds as his first visitors. He chose Nazareth as the place to grow up in that was so despised, people would often ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Twice he chose to ride on the back of a lowly donkey instead of a magnificent stallion. These were ridiculous choices for a royal king in all of his majesty. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says that he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And he suffered greatly because he chose meekness over majesty. He subjected himself to his earthly parents all throughout his early years. And he never, ever failed in his perfect submission to God. And although he was perfect, had no sin, had no reason to repent, he humbled himself and was baptized as an example for you and me. Before he began his public ministry, he worked with his hands as a carpenter. That's what meekness does. It works. It serves. Not for the promotion of self, but for the promotion of others. Jesus often associated himself with the lowly in society. The Samaritans, the Gentiles, the sinners, the poor, the sick, the handicapped, the women and the children. The religious leaders of that time would never, ever associate themselves with such people. Yet Jesus never elevated himself above anyone. In fact, he often did the opposite, just as he did at the Last Supper when he washed his disciples' feet. Remember that? Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is meekness in action. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed his father's will be done in the face of great agony, knowing the death that he was about to endure. And he willingly, humbly, and sacrificially chose to go to the cross for our sins. He chose to be beaten and bloodied for us. He chose to carry the cross to the place where he would be crucified. He chose to have those nails pounded into his hands and into his feet. He chose to hang there on the cross, barely able to breathe. He chose ultimately to give up his life on that cross for you and for me. Jesus had all the power of heaven and earth, and yet he always chose to submit himself fully to the will of his father in heaven. And he did all of this because he chose meekness over majesty but I wonder I wonder how many of us would make those same choices how many of us choose meekness over majesty in our daily lives are we gentle and humble do we have strength under control honestly think about this with me we are called to follow Jesus we are called to pattern our lives after him He is the light of the world. Are we shining his light so people see him, or are we trying to shine our own light so people see us? Or are we not shining any light at all because we're too busy being tangled up in deeds of darkness? These are some deep questions, and they require some deep answers. So let's first talk about this. How do you and I choose meekness over majesty? How do we do this? First, We must choose Savior over self. Savior over self. This is a constant battle. Because self always wants the majesty. Self always longs for the power and the prestige. Because self wants everything my way. And self desires worship. Look at me. Look what I have. And look what I've done. We see this manifest itself all the time, and it's one of the greatest tactics of the enemy that he chooses to exploit in our lives. We long for the spotlight. For some, it's as simple as how they dress. There is a complete disregard for modesty because what we wear, or in some cases, what we don't wear, is all designed for the focus on self. You see, meek people are modest people. Meek people don't need the attention, nor do they strive to get it. Meek people focus on the Savior instead of focusing on self. Meek people don't make excuses for their sin. Meek people don't blame others for their sin either. Meek people also don't tear people down by elevating themselves. Meek people reflect the light of Jesus in their lives. They don't try to block the light. They don't try to be the light. They just reflect his light. Meek people are humble and gentle. They don't brag about themselves. They don't constantly talk about themselves. They are not consumed with self. They are consumed with the Savior. They take the same attitude of John the Baptist, who said this of the Savior, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's what meekness does. It elevates the Savior above itself. Majesty is look at me. Meekness is Look at him. Majesty is my way. Meekness is his way. Majesty is serve me. Meekness is serve him. Majesty is I do nothing wrong. Meekness is when I do something wrong, I own it. I own it. Majesty is I deserve this. Meekness is I deserve death. Majesty leads to entitlement while meekness leads to thankfulness. We must choose meekness. Over majesty. And it all starts with choosing the Savior over self. Next, to choose meekness over majesty, we must choose serving over sitting. Oh, it's so easy to sit. Sadly and unfortunately, that's what the majority of people do. They sit instead of serve, they are consumers instead of contributors. But as Christ followers, serving is exactly what we're called to do. We are to serve the Savior, and we are to serve others. And when we do this, we bring glory to his name, which should be our ultimate purpose in this life. I cannot think of a greater example for us to embrace in our lives than that of our Savior himself. Next to his sacrifice on the cross, him washing the feet of his disciples is the greatest act of meekness the world has ever seen. On the night before Jesus would be crucified on the cross for our sins, he shared his final meal with his disciples. And it was during this meal, as he was sitting with all of his disciples, that he got up, took off part of his own clothes, and began to wash the feet of every one of his disciples. He did this to teach them and to teach all of us the importance of serving over sitting. No matter how many times I read this story or I hear this example, I am absolutely dumbfounded by it. The King of glory, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who has all authority and all the power of heaven and earth, the one who is due all majesty, all honor and all glory. He stops sitting and starts serving by washing feet. He even washed the feet of Judas, who he knew later that very night would betray him. This example shatters any preconceived notion of certain classes of people who deserve to be served versus actually serving. There is no service that should ever be beneath any of us. Majesty expects to be served. Meekness actually serves. The Bible teaches over and over again that we are to serve God and we are to serve each other. We all need to stop sitting and start serving. This is the life of a Christ follower. Following Christ is not a spectator sport where we sit around and we watch everyone else do all the work. We use whatever God has given us to serve him and to serve others. And there is plenty of kingdom work to be done. So we must choose serving over sitting. Next, to choose meekness over majesty, we must choose forgiveness over bitterness. Forgiveness over bitterness. This can be really hard, especially when we're hurt by someone deeply. But as Christ followers, we must forgive, no matter how deep that hurt is, no matter how much we think that person deserves it or not. Because the truth is, none of us deserve forgiveness. You hear me? None of us deserve forgiveness. Praise God for his mercy and his grace, because if we got what we deserved, we would all be dead in our sins, destined to go to hell and spend eternity in there forever apart from god so the minute that we don't forgive is the minute that we forget that we've been forgiven it does not matter how great the offense is or how bad the offender is or even how many times we've been offended we must forgive we must forgive because we have been forgiven and unfortunately the culture that we live in teaches just the opposite hold a grudge and get even that's what this world embraces Just think about how many movies or TV shows that depict the lead character getting wronged in some way and then turning around and having their revenge. This is the complete opposite of the way we are to live. We must choose forgiveness over bitterness. Holding on to unforgiveness does nothing but make us bitter. And bitterness just leads to jealousy, anger, division, and immorality. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 15 says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. I lost a dear friend of mine years ago because he allowed a root of bitterness to grow up in his life that ultimately consumed him. And the ripple effects from his decision to end his life had devastating consequences on all the people around him. Bitterness is a deadly poison. It doesn't change your situation. It does not change the person who hurt you, but it does change you. And this change is never good. This is why the Bible compares bitterness to a deadly poison, and it instructs us to get it out of our lives. And we can do that with the antidote of forgiveness. And we don't ever try to do this on our own strength. Man, you try this on your own, and you're going to fail. You need the Lord's strength to help you. We all need the Lord to help us, and we must yield to him for that help. Notice what Jesus did when he had every right to be bitter when he was sentenced to death while being perfectly innocent of any wrongdoing. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He did not insult in return. He did not retaliate in any way. He released his right to do anything by trusting in God completely. Now, why did Jesus do this? Because he chose meekness over majesty by choosing forgiveness over bitterness. And that's the lesson for you and me. Next and last on how to choose meekness over majesty, we must choose thankfulness over ungratefulness nothing can stifle our faith or our spiritual growth more than a spirit of ungratefulness and that's what it is it is a spirit and when we fail or we fall short of this spirit of ungratefulness it goes to show that we have forgotten god that's what it means when we're ungrateful we have forgotten god i love what abraham lincoln said 160 years ago here's what he said quote We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own, end quote how true that was then, how true that is even today. We forget God. We become ungrateful. Romans chapter 1 is a painful reminder of what can happen when we forget or just flat out ignore God. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You see, everyone living on this earth today is without excuse, every single person, because you cannot look at creation and not understand that there is a creator. God made it that way. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, if you continue reading in Romans chapter one, you will see that this lack of glorifying God, this lack of giving him thanks leads to absolute wickedness and every kind of evil. It's incredibly sad to see so many people living in ungratefulness. And it's not hard to see either. It is not hard to see where there is complaining, murmuring and grumbling. There is ungratefulness where there is a sense of entitlement. There is ungratefulness and I guess we shouldn't be too surprised by this as the Bible warns us in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days we will unfortunately see more and more of this Paul warns Timothy he says here beginning in verse 1 you should know this Timothy that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money they will be boastful and proud scoffing at God disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That is a sobering reminder, and it's a sobering warning of what we're seeing today, isn't it? At the heart of our faith is thankfulness. Again and again in the scriptures, we are reminded to give thanks, to be thankful for what God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. We must always choose thankfulness over ungratefulness. When we resist giving thanks to him, it goes to show that we don't really trust him. Because if we trust him, we will give thanks to him no matter what our situation is. And he absolutely deserves our thankfulness because he is good. He is good. Jesus is the light of the world. And he chose to reveal himself as this light by his meekness instead of his majesty. Over and over again in the scriptures, we see him choose the lowly over the lofty. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. It is lowliness, humility, and gentleness. No one embodied meekness more than Jesus. He had all the power and authority in the world, and yet he humbled himself in meekness and went to the cross to save us from our sins. When he came into the world in meekness, that's how he came in the first time, but he will one day return to this world in all his majesty. So how can we, like Jesus, choose meekness over majesty we talked about this first we must recognize that our lives are the sum of our choices and to choose to follow Jesus and meekness over majesty we must choose savior over self serving over sitting forgiveness over bitterness and thankfulness over ungratefulness now these are not always easy choices but these choices are what it means to follow Jesus we must be his hands and feet in this dying and decaying world. He is the light of the world. And as his followers, we are the light of the world. We are to reflect his light in everything to everyone. It's easy to get caught up in our own lives or looking down at others. You see, majesty looks down at others. Meekness looks up at others. And the fact is, we can't throw stones if we're busy washing feet. Always choose meekness over majesty. And I'd like to end today by sharing this quote that I absolutely love from Pastor Andy Davis. This kind of sums up everything right here. He said this, meekness went to the cross. Majesty was resurrected from the grave. That's so good. And what I want to do right now is I just want to play this song and I want you to listen to the words in this song and lean into the Holy Spirit today, wherever he's leading you. You've got something on your heart that you know you need to repent of. This would be the time to do that. If you're sitting there wondering, like, how can I be the light of the world? How can I actually reflect his light? Ask him. Engage with your Father in heaven right now during this time. If you need prayer of any kind during this song, I'd encourage you to come forward. I'll be here to pray with you. There can be others that will be up here to pray with you. But take this time to engage with him. Okay? If you could turn those lights off for me back there, Jen, I see you getting
1: up. You could have stepped into creation with fire for all to see, brought every tribe and nation to their knees. Arriving with the host of heaven in royal robe and crown The rulers of the earth All bowing down But you chose meekness Over majesty Wrapped your power Thank you. Our God is overcome Let heaven and nature sing This is our key.
0: your holy name thank you that you came into this world in meekness had you come in majesty we'd all be doomed and so we thank you lord for your mercy and for your grace thank you for the message of the savior being born to us this is a time that we should remember and we should reflect it's a time to celebrate a time to understand that there is light This is such a dark world that we live in, but we know, Father, the closer we are to you, the closer we are to light. And I just pray, Father, that you'd encourage us to be that light, to reflect your light in the people's lives, to give them hope, and um, to point them to the Savior who can wash away every tear, can wash away every hurt. And I thank you, Lord, that there is always hope in you. No matter how dark and bleak things are, we know what just one little flicker of light does. It disperses the darkness. And we thank you, Lord, that you did that by coming into this world. So praise your mighty and holy name. Whatever need is represented in this room today that people have that are carrying with them, whatever burdens that they have, Lord, I pray, Father, they can lay them down right at the foot of the cross to know, Lord, that you can meet every need. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer of any kind, again, uh, I'll be up here. I would love to. Talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. But thank you guys. It's so good to be back here. Again, thank you for all the love and support you've poured out to my family. Uh, if you've given uh, us meals and your dishes you're looking for, those are in the kitchen in a box back there. Don't forget to pick those up. But God bless you and have a great week.